punishment. And which one is necessary if we want change to take place in our lives? I want you to turn this morning to Genesis chapter 44. Genesis chapter 44, and we're going to be reading a good part of that chapter. And as you're turning there, I'm going to ask you just a couple of questions. Um, You know, we're talking about change. We're talking about real change in our lives. And I just wonder if there are things in your life that you want to change. Um, Things that you want to, to be different. And do you feel like sometimes things happen in your life to give you an opportunity to change? And if you say yes to both of those, do you believe that the one that's allowing those things to take place in your life, that's the Lord trying to help bring about a change that not just you know you need, but that He knows you need as well? Change is uh, something that upsets us a lot. Um, We like things to remain the same. Um, I think about, I don't know why, but when I looked at Barbara and Tony here, uh, guess what I thought about? <laughs> I thought about that somebody in their family recently got married. And they're not around as much as they used to be. And that's a change, isn't it? That's a little different, isn't it? Or maybe they are. Maybe they're around more than they were before. I don't know. But, you know, when, when Jessica was at home and, and, you know, it was a family unit there, everything was good. And then along comes this fella that just changed, ruined everything, changed everything, right? There was a change, and change is hard. Change is really hard, Uh, and it's difficult, but you know, I think uh, there's things in my life I want to change. Uh, There's things that that in my life that I wish could have changed years ago, and I'm still wanting that change to take place. Am I alone in this? Are there things in your life you want to change, you want to be different? I think so. I think we all have those things. So this morning, we're going to talk about that. And I want us to think about how this change can come about. If we know we need to change, if we feel we want to change, if we feel the Lord wants us to change, then how does that happen? How is it going to take place? Um, how, can I, how can I be truly different tomorrow than I was today, being, being uh, or allowing this real change to take place? And I will tell you this, that it will not take place uh, through religious rituals. It will not take place either by you standing in front of the mirror and saying, I am such and such. Uh, I want to be such and such, so I am such and such. You know, you can't speak it into existence. You don't have that power. And I don't have that power either. But I know that sometimes I need change, and I need real change, and I want, to, I want it to happen, and I wonder how I can do that. And so we always go to Scripture when we have a question. It's our guidebook, and that's where we get our answers. And today we're looking in Genesis chapter 44 for an answer to that question. How can I bring about real change in my life? And we're going to talk about Joseph's brothers. And Joseph's brothers underwent real change in their lives. They started off one way, and then about two decades later, they were different people than they were than when the story started. 
Now, don't, don't lose heart and think that it's going to take you 20 years to be any different or for your change to take place. But this is just an example of how that can happen. And see, they started off, they were very jealous and they were very bitter in their lives. They did not like the favored son of their father, Joseph. And so they stuck him in a hole and then some people came along and they sold him to them into slavery because they were jealous and they were bitter. But then on down the line, their family was starving. And so what they had to do is they had to go to Egypt and buy food from a very powerful Egyptian ruler who happened to be who? Joseph. Doesn't God tell a great story? Doesn't he have the best twists and turns of anybody? He absolutely does. They don't know. I don't know either. This thing is really on my nerves today. I feel like I got a wire sticking out of my ear. Okay, here we go. All right. So they don't know that this ruler is Joseph. They don't know who he is. They don't know that this is their brother who they betrayed a couple of decades earlier, who they sold into slavery a couple of decades earlier. And as the story progresses, he accuses them of being spies. And he even, he, even though he fed them from his own table, and then as they're getting ready to leave, Joseph tells his steward to do something strange. And that's where we're going to start reading in Genesis chapter 44, verse number 1. And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put every man's money in his sack's mouth, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest, and his corn money. And he did according to Joseph that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away, and they and their asses. And when they were gone out of the city and not yet far off, Joseph said unto his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, Wherefore have ye rewarded evil for good? Is not this it in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth? Ye have done evil in so doing. And so the steward overtook them, and he spake unto them these same words that Joseph said to say. And they said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words? God forbid that thy servants should do according to this thing. Behold the money which we found in our sacks' mouths. We brought again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. How then should we steal out of thy Lord's house silver or gold? With whomsoever of thy servants it be found, both let him die, and we also will be my Lord's bondsmen. See, they, they knew that they had not put Pharaoh's cup in their, in their sacks. And, and they, they were trying to be as honest and upfront as they knew how to be, and they're like, hey, if it's there, then woe unto us and do whatever you want to because we know we didn't take it. And he said, now also let it be according unto your words. He with whom it is found shall be my servant and, be, and ye shall be blameless. Then they speedily took down every man his sack to the ground and opened every man his sack. And he searched and began at the eldest and left at the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Okay, so 
So Benjamin, uh, just to give you this information, you know this already probably, but Benjamin, since Joseph was gone, was now their father's favorite. Interesting how things are turning out. Look at verse number 13. Then they rent their clothes and laded every man his ass and returned to the city. So years ago, they returned home with bad news for their father that his favorite son had been killed by a wild animal. But now they were not going to go back and tell their father that they had lost his other favorite son. Instead, they turned back around to head back to Egypt. And they went so they could basically face the music together. Okay? Look at verse number 14. And Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there, and they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said unto them, What deed is this that ye have done? What ye not that such a man as I can certainly divine? And Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? And this is an interesting statement right here. God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. What iniquity? They didn't put the cup in their sack. Could he be speaking of the iniquity of years ago when they sold their brother into slavery and went back and told their father a lie? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. So, here we have these brothers, and they are innocent of stealing this cup. But they are not innocent of stealing Joseph's freedom all those years ago. You see, Judah was the very one that suggested that they sell Joseph into slavery. And now it's Judah. Interesting how things work out. Now it's Judah who, on behalf of the brothers admits their guilt and accepts the consequences of their own sinful behavior. They had sinned. They had sold their brother into slavery. And now it seems he feels it's only right that we become slaves as well. He didn't do what most of us would do today. He didn't shout, unfair, not right. This is, this is not right. This is not fair. He didn't say any of that. Rather, he said, we're only getting what we deserve. What a change from all the anger and bitterness of those years ago till now being willing to admit that there was a wrong committed and we're only getting what we deserve. What a big difference. There's a change that has taken place in the life of Judah and his brothers. And we see in that that the changes that we need to take place can happen as well. So what we see here and what brought about real change, I believe, in Judah's life is the fact that he was willing to submit to the discipline that the Lord wanted to perform in his life. Not the punishment, but the discipline, okay? So... I think what we get from this is that if we want things to be different, we stop resisting what God wants to do and accept, listen to this, 
accept His loving correction in our lives. Stop crying. It's not fair. Why do I have to go through this? Why me? Why not them? Why is everything falling on my plate and on my lap? And stop yelling. It's unfair. And welcome the change that God is trying to perform in your life through the hard times that you're going through. In some way or another, we've discussed this quite a lot this past year. You know, we have difficulty in our lives. Everybody here does. And there are things for us to learn. And instead of fighting against these things, being willing to accept these things and allowing God to perform the change in our lives that He wants to change, that's, that's what it's all about. I didn't give this scripture to Michael, but I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 12. If you want to turn there, you can. I'm going to read uh, Hebrews 12, verse 4 and 6. But if you just want to listen, I think you'll get it as well. It says there, in your struggle against sin, and who here does not struggle with sin? In your struggle against sin, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the ones He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. Hmm. It is for discipline that you have to endure. And then chapter 12 goes on to say, Be subject to the Father of spirits and live. For God disciplines us for good that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Again, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Interesting. How many of us have bypassed in experiencing the peaceful fruit of righteousness because we weren't willing to accept the discipline that the Lord was giving to us in the moment. That's God's promise, though, to His children. When times are hard, don't buck up against them and don't resist them. Instead, consider submitting to their purifying influence in your life. I want you to think about difficulty in your life right now. Is there something that you and I can learn through our difficulty if we're willing to say, Lord, show me, teach me? I think this is for a reason. And I believe that in due season, I will, I will be released from the difficulty and hardness of this situation, and I will enjoy the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So there's a difference, and I want to clarify this before we go on. There is a difference between discipline and punishment. Hear me when I say that. There is a difference between discipline and punishment. God's discipline is to help make us stronger for the future. Now hear that. His discipline in our lives is to make us stronger for the future. God put all of His wrath, He put all of His wrath and all of His anger on Jesus at the cross. All of his wrath, all of his anger went on Jesus at the cross. So Jesus has already taken, I want you to hear this, all of the punishment for our sins. 
Jesus has taken the punishment for our sins, and he says he's removed them and cast them as far as the east is from the west. And that is the finished work of the cross. It is finished. Believe that, understand that, receive that here today. There is a difference between discipline and punishment. And what happens as we become believers and Christians, God moves in as our Heavenly Father, and He disciplines us in our lives. So, is this a reaction to the sin in our lives? No. Think about that. Is that a reaction to the sin in our lives? No, He remembers our sin no more. We've got to reconcile that. If we're going to believe that he remembers our sin no more, then can we go day after day saying, God is punishing me for my sins? That's a hard thing to understand, isn't it? It's a hard thing to wrap our mind around because it just makes sense that we should be punished. But there's a difference between discipline and punishment. So his discipline is not in reaction to our sin. Is his discipline in reaction or response to our disobedience? No. Because he had, our, our sins have been taken away once and for all. We can't go back and forth. We can't say this one day and this another day. I think that's why some people in the world, lost people, they call us hypocrites because we'll say one thing one day and we'll say something another day and they're trying to understand what we're saying because we're, we're saying conflicting things. Sometimes we'll say things like, I'm saved and I know I am and I'm heaven bound. And then two days later, we've had some bad days. Some things have gone wrong. We've made some mistakes and we're saying things like, well, I hope the Lord lets me into heaven after the two days I've just lived. But he said what he said and he meant what he said. Okay? And it doesn't change. It doesn't go back and forth. He's not like the wind. He doesn't shift with the wind he doesn't shift with your behavior, but he disciplines you and me to help us for the future. He's training us for what's coming, for what's in the future. It's not the discipline we're receiving is not punishment for our past. That's been dealt with. Our sin has been dealt with. And he disciplines us because, as Hebrews just told us, he disciplines us because he loves us. He loves us. And he invests in us. And he cares for us. And I think one reason why we get this wrong sometimes is because we look at the people in our lives who have dished out discipline in the past. Whether it's been parents, whether it's been guardians or other uh, 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 authority figures in our lives. Sometimes they have given us discipline and they've taken things too far. Let's just be honest. And so what we do is we, we, we project, we, we bring that to the table and we impose that on God. Just as my parents were unfair in this, just as my teacher was unfair in this, just as my grandparents or my legal guardian or whatever took this too far, God does the same thing. He takes things too far. He's unfair. He doesn't do right. But you just said a few minutes ago, we all just agreed that he is good and right and fair and just in his dealings with us. And sometimes the weight is heavy and we're pressed down to the floor. Sometimes it feels like we're pushed through the floor. 
with the trouble and the difficulty that life has to bring us. But these are moments where he is teaching us. Um, God's ways are not our ways. There have been plenty of days where I said to myself, Lord, you need to stop. I want you to stop right now. Just stop this right now. And, and it didn't stop. Um, because I would be like, he's suffered enough, or he's gone through enough, or she's been through enough, or they've been through enough. Lord, just stop. And his ways are not our ways. But Scripture tells us this. Scripture says that fathers do not exasperate your children. And he is the model for that. Because he loves us. And he invests in us. And his discipline works because, this is why his discipline works. It works because he does love us. And he is training us for what's coming. He's getting us ready for things in the future. Because he's already got works ready for us to do. He knows our beginning and our ending. He has known us from the womb. And he knows us now. I want you to think about the word discipline. Uh, disciple is where we get the word discipline. And Jesus didn't punish and beat up the disciples. He was molding his disciples. And he was shaping his disciples, and he was vesting, investing in their lives, and he's doing the same thing with you and me through everything that we're going through. All the heartache, all the hardship, all the difficulty, the things that we don't understand. He is working in those things. And God disciplines, um, it's God's discipline, rather, that changes us. It's God's discipline. Now, we talked about wanting real change. It's God's discipline that changes our thinking. It's God's discipline that changes our actions. So I think what we can say and, and say this firmly and, and believe it is that we are really always, as children of God, we are always under the discipline of God. From the moment we give our lives to Him, we are under His discipline. So when hard times come, and they're going to, maybe we should see that as a wake-up call that it's time to make some changes. It's time to do things a little differently. And eventually that pain that we're experiencing will produce, according to Scripture, and we can count on that, because that's the Word of God, will produce the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now that just sounds sweet, doesn't it? The peaceful fruit of righteousness. So we can't rebel. We can't continue in rebellion. If we want real change in our lives, we must accept the discipline from God. And then we need to do like what Judah did and admit when we do wrong. Be willing to admit that we sin. Be willing to admit when we've messed up. Acknowledge that we have indeed messed up. Be willing to do that. You know, Judah could have said, he could have protested. He had every right to because they didn't steal that cup. He had every right to protest and say, we did not put that there because they didn't steal it. But what he remembered was when he did steal. When he did steal Joseph's freedom. He remembered that. 
He said, God has found out the guilt of your servants. So we all sin. We all do. We are saints who sin. Uh, we will sin until the end, until he takes us out of here and takes us home. And that is nothing to brag about. That is, our, that is the struggle, and the struggle is real. It, we will sin. We live in a fallen world. It's going to happen. What we need to be willing to do is admit it. That's when real change can begin to take place in our lives, when we admit that it is a problem, that we have done wrong. The problem is most people think this way. I'm not really all that bad. I'm not that bad. And then we do that little thing where we compare our badness with his badness or her badness. And we think, well, my badness is not nearly as bad as their badness. And as a matter of fact, their badness is so bad that it always makes my badness goodness. I mean, you know, we're trying to justify everything. And we compare ourselves with other people, and that's, that's a joy stealer. We can't do that, and we should not do that. And it gets to the point where it seems like the average person believes that he is better than the average person because we compare and we think we're not as bad. But that's not how we get better, and that's not how change takes place. Real change takes place in your life. You and I have got to be willing to admit our sinfulness. We've got to admit when we failed and when we've done wrong and realize this was wrong. God, I admit it. I, I, I confess that this is wrong. And if we need to confess to someone else, I wronged you. I confess that this is wrong. And change can take place because that's all part of the, the discipline uh, uh, situation that's taking place in your life. Process. The discipline process is what I was trying to think of. So admit when you're wrong. Admit when you're going in the wrong direction so that you can turn and go in the other direction. Go in the right direction. Admit that you sin. That has to happen before any real change can take place. Consider this. If things are not going good in your life, if, if your life is going in the wrong direction, don't be distracted by what other people are doing and blame them. Acknowledge your own misdirection. Acknowledge your own mistakes and, and the things that you have done that have led to this situation. You know, if it seems like God is far away in your life right now, don't blame God for moving away because He never did. He never has and He never will, according to Scripture. He said, I will be with you. So if you feel like God has moved far away, you need to consider yourself, what have I done to make myself feel this way? He didn't go anywhere. Maybe I need to confess my own drifting away of being faithful to God's house or praying like I used to or studying the Word of God or trying to live the golden rule or, and do the things that Scripture tells me that I need to do. His death, uh, and this is a beautiful truth for us, His death satisfied. His death satisfied the punishment. His death satisfied the punishment that our sin deserves. So real change for the better can start when you and I will accept the discipline, admit that we sin, and then with God's help, and this is my last point, quit the sin. Okay? Um, Melissa sang a song today. And it was all about, you know, go to you. Go to Jesus when I'm weak. Go to Jesus because He is my strength. And I wish I had the 
I got them right here. Let me look at these lyrics for just a minute. Jesus said, if I am weak, I should come to him. Uh, no one else can be my strength. I should come to him. Jesus said that if I fear, I should come to him. No one else can be my shield. I should come to him. There you go. Accept what's going on. Admit that you've done wrong. And then quit your sin with the Lord's help. Because you can't do it without his help. I can't do anything without his help. There have been times in my life, and maybe you felt the same way, where I felt like, well, hey, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to show God I'm going to show God what He's done in my life. I'm going to show God how, how strong He's made me. And so I'm not going to bother Him with this. I'm just going to handle this on my own. And it leads inevitably to failure every single time because I have forgotten that every step of the way, I need to, God, I need you. God, I need you. I need your help. I can't do this. I'm messing up again. I'm, I'm going into avenues that I don't want to go down, and I'm doing this again, and I need your help. I need you. I'm weak. I'm afraid. I need you. You've got to be willing to admit that. Don't, don't be strong for the sake of being able to say, hey, I stood on my own two feet. I may have stood on my own two feet, but they're the two feet that he gave me, and he's the one that's got them settled and, and sturdy, and he's the one that is probably keeping my knees from knocking and me from buckling under altogether. I can't do anything without him. I need him. And I'm in total uh, and complete dependence on him. The one who died for me. The one who rose again for me. The one who changed my heart. Changed my desires. And if he did that then he can change my ways. And he's the only one that can do it. And I believe that there are people here today that want real change in their lives. And that's exactly what Judah and his brothers did. They offered. They offered. Even though they were innocent in this instance and in this situation, they offered to become Joseph's slaves. Joseph said, far be it that for me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, you go in peace to your father. He says, no, 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 no. I don't want all of you to be my servant. I just want the one that had the cup. And I'll take him and you guys can go on to your daddy. Go on back home. And what follows um, is some of the most beautiful uh, scripture I think that we'll find in, in the Old Testament because Judah was not going to allow his younger brother to be taken, to allow his freedom to be taken the way that they took Joseph's freedom. And so he pleaded for the release of his younger brother. And this is one of the most, again, it's one of the most moving petitions in Scripture. Let's read it, uh, beginning with verse number 18. Then Judah came near unto him and said, Oh, my Lord, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not thine anger burn against thy servant, for thou art even as Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have ye a father or a brother? And we said unto my Lord, You, Joseph, we have a father, an old man and a child of his old age, a little one, and his brother is dead. That's Joseph. And he alone is left of his mother. That's Benjamin. And his father loveth him. In other words, he had a son. He loved him. But he is, he is dead. As far as they knew, he was dead. They didn't know. He was standing right in front of them. 
And he said, he's dead. And so, so he, has a, he has only one that's, that's left from his mother, and his name is Benjamin. That's the little one here. And thou saidest unto thy servants, Bring him down unto me, that I may set mine eyes upon him. And we said unto my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. And thou saidest, saidest unto thy servants, Except your youngest brother come down with you, ye shall see my face no more. And it came to pass when we came up unto thy servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, Go again and buy us a little food. And we said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brother be with us, then will we go down, for we may not see the man's face except our youngest brother go with us. That's the precedent that had been said. If you come back, bring your youngest brother. And thy servant, my father, said unto us, Ye know that my wife have me, or wife bear me two sons. And the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I saw him not since. That's him saying that his son Joseph had been uh, torn apart by a wild animal. That's what he thought all those years. Verse 29, And if ye take this also from me, if you take Benjamin from me, and mischief shall befall him, ye shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. I cannot bear to lose another son. And see, these boys love their daddy. And they didn't want their daddy to die, but they knew that if Benjamin did not come back, their daddy would die. But the way it looked, Joseph was going to insist that Benjamin stay. See how, how things are working? See the, see the discipline that God is working in the lives of the people in this situation? Now, therefore, when I come to thy servant, my father, and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life, it shall come to pass when he seeth that lad is not with us, that he will die. And thy servants shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, If I bring him not unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Now, therefore, and here's where you see the change. I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead. Let me stay. Instead of the lad, a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. Let them all go back. Let me stay. For how shall I go up to my father, and the lad not be, with, be not with me, lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come on my father. So Judah, a couple of decades earlier, had sold his brother, into slavery. And now he is pleading himself to be enslaved instead of his younger brother so his younger brother can go free. Judah is a different man. Real change has taken place in Judah's life by God's grace and God's work in his life. No longer jealous, no longer bitter. He is willing to give up his own freedom to preserve the freedom of his younger brother, who was now the favored son, Benjamin. There was still a favored son situation going on. But the jealousy and the bitterness were gone because God had worked in his life. And now, even in this moment, he was beginning to taste the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So to truly change church, for us to truly change, you cannot depend on yourself. You cannot do it. 
You cannot depend on any kind of a gadget or some kind of religious ritual. You depend on Jesus Christ himself because he is our deliverer. He is our deliverer. And he has paid the penalty for our sin. So punishment, no. But discipline to help with you in your life now and in the future, yes. The difficulties, the troubles, the struggles that we all go through. God is trying to take us somewhere. He's trying to show us something. He's trying to do something. Accept it. Admit it. And then change it with the Lord's help. Just imagine. Just dream. Use your, use your, what's the word I'm looking for? Use your creativity to imagine how Jesus Christ can free you from the areas of trouble and difficulty and bondage in your life. The things that you want changed, He can do it. And it may be hard. And see, that's where we struggle because we, we lean towards the easy. And we want things to be smooth. And life is more enjoyable, it seems, when it is that way. But God is doing a work with you in that situation. Don't discount that fact. You mean, if you want to look at it this way, you mean so much to Him that He is willing to bring you through a hard time to purify you through the process and do something in your life that you, one day you can look back and you can say, that was God that did that. And it was a hard road to get there, but I'm so glad I took it. And it's better to look back and see that than to look back and think, what have I missed going through all of this? What have I missed because I wasn't aware of what God was trying to do? I was so busy with everything else and concerned about making the bad things disappear and go away. I wasn't trying to see what God was trying to do. God is always working. God is always doing. Our choice is to, to believe it, to look for it, to accept it, and with His help, change it. Whatever needs to be changed in our lives. I want you to stand if you will. And if you'll just bow your heads.